According to Dr. Dane Ortland, Psalm 23 is, quote, perhaps the most famous poem in the history of the world. Likewise, pastor and author Tim Challies remarks, quote, no other work of art is more beautiful, more valuable, more irreplaceable than the 23rd Psalm, end quote. Psalm 23 is a song of comfort, security, trust, and deep consolation. The familiar psalm describes a journey from wilderness through the valley of the shadow into the house of the Lord. Psalm, this psalm contains hints of Israel's past deliverance from slavery in Egypt through the sea to the mountain of the Lord and eventually into the promised land. This song is rich with symbolism and typology. It pulls from, the present, from present experiences of the author, David, who's writing this, but it contains fragments of a, of a people's past, and it points to a greater future fulfillment. In our context, we often encounter Psalm 23 at funerals or in moments of great difficulty in our lives. It is at these moments which leads Dr. Ortland to ask the question, quote, how can life be green pastures and still waters in the enveloping fog of deep fears or bitter disappointments? He goes on to ask, in a sadness that refuses to lift, a habitual sin suffocating you, a rejection by one you loved, or a deep sense that you keep disappointing God. How can these still waters and green pastures be a present reality when we see so much turmoil and pain when we look around us in our own lives? Such questions, though not directly addressed in this text, are acknowledged and they're set in their right place with the beginning statement, the Lord is my shepherd. As I've been spending time in this psalm, I cannot tell you how many times it brought me to tears. How beautiful this psalm is. And I hope this morning, this is what I intend to do. I intend to <clears throat> bring you to the edge where I show you this beautiful pool and just push you into it. Because we are not even going to address the surface of this psalm. There is so much here. I hope I only whet your appetite to go and to spend hours upon hours in this beautiful psalm. That's a part of God's glorious word. These questions addressed in this psalm address many areas in our life, struggles, challenges, hurts, pains. But it doesn't focus on those things. It sets our attention where it needs to be. The Lord is my shepherd. I also want to challenge you, if you have not committed Psalm 23 to memory yet, I would challenge you to do that. It is a fabulous, six verses, it is a fabulous portion of text to commit to memory for believers in Jesus, it is tremendous comfort to hold these words during times of trial. <clears throat> 
Now, this morning, we will look at three different perspectives of Psalm 23. The first perspective we will look at is the immediate or historical perspective. We need to remember that this psalm was written by David from his experiences and with his knowledge. But there's a second perspective, the ultimate perspective. Psalm 23 was fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And then there's what I'm calling the intimate perspective. Psalm 23, as for those who would receive the benefits. Those who the Apostle Paul would describe as in Christ. What I hope we walk away with today is the reality that Christians take comfort in the immediate, the ultimate, and the intimate perspective of Psalm 23. Meaning that it was written by David, it was written about Jesus And it was written for Christians. Let's read this glorious psalm together. Psalm 23, a psalm of David, says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, my cup, Overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. David is Israel's king, so the immediate uh, perspective is that this psalm was written by David. God used his experiences, his knowledge, his history of his people to write this beautiful psalm. And so David is Israel's king and composed this song to praise the active involvement of God with his people. Now, this psalm reminded Israel that their shepherd, King David, is himself a sheep who is led by the good shepherd. And whenever you see in the Old Testament that the, the, the name of the Lord is in all caps, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is the proper name of God, which we call Jehovah or Yahweh. And David is saying, and notice this, this, uh, this psalm is structured in a, in a typical Hebrew uh, pattern called a chiasm, where it, it starts with two bookends in verse 1 and verse, verse 6, and they both, they begin and they end with Yahweh. Yahweh is my shepherd. And then it ends with Yahweh's house is my dwelling. And you move one step in and verses two and verses five match that Yahweh, he ensures grass and water. He meets my needs. And then on the the back end of it, he prepares an elaborate table and he anoints me. And then the two in the middle and you can, you can imagine this as an A, B, C, C, B, A is kind of this pattern that, that, that the Hebrew poetry follows. And so the two in the middle is that he restores and, and conducts for his name's sake. And second, and there's a shift right in the middle that's beautiful. 
here. See, David is writing, and he's, he's talking about God in the third person. He does this. He's proclaiming to God. But right here in the middle of the psalm, he makes a shift to second person, and he says, you protect me. You comfort me in danger. The Lord is my shepherd. The picture that David paints here is of God neither being distant nor indifferent. He is intimately involved in David's life. God is near. Hebrew scholar Tremper Longman writes this. He says, the metaphor is more than pastoral, meaning pasture lands, not a pastor, but pasture lands. It's more than pastoral. It is also royal. God is the royal shepherd who cares for his people. The psalmist expresses this relationship in an intensely personal and intimate manner. God is a shepherd to him and as such protects and guides the psalmist on the right paths. 16 times David uses the first person singular, me, my, or I. This is incredibly personal to David. David, if you know any of his backstory, he was the youngest of many brothers, which usually means you're the one out in the field tending the sheep. And so that's exactly what David did. He spent many days, long hours, in the middle of the wilderness watching sheep. And so this this shepherd motif is not unique to Psalm 23. In fact, actually, it's used throughout Old and New Testament that we'll see through the rest of this sermon. But a couple examples in the Old Testament of this, of of God being the shepherd. We turn to Ezekiel 34, verses 15, which is contrasting, Ezekiel the prophet is contrasting Israel's bad shepherd leaders with the good shepherd. And the prophet declares about God, saying, God saying, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. Again, another prophet, Micah 7, verse 14, Micah declares, shepherd your people with your staff. And this is at the end of Micah's prophecy, and Micah is at the end of himself, and he's, he's saying, God, do something about all of this that I'm seeing. You could say Micah was looking at the valley of the shadow of death. And Micah says, shepherd your people with your staff the flock of your inheritance who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. Other examples, Genesis chapter 48 and chapter 49 reference God as a shepherd. Other Psalms, Psalm 28 verse 9, 80 verse 1 also reference God being a shepherd and the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 40 verse 11 also talks about God being a shepherd. The shepherd motif is throughout scripture. And to a nomadic culture, it was a powerful picture of God's care. Our culture, we don't so much connect with this as, as much as, as the original audience would because we're, you know, we're in cars and driving to places and sheep are, at, are somewhere out in agricultural land, not here. But in, in the original audience, sheep were a way of life. They were everywhere. 
Shepherds were everywhere. If sheep were everywhere, shepherds were everywhere as well because they had to care for the sheep and watch the sheep. And so this picture was a huge word picture for the people hearing this and singing this in Israel's context. God is my shepherd. He is leading me. He cares for me. James Montgomery Boyce uh, referenced a pastor by the name of Philip Keller. Philip Keller spent uh, a number of years literally shepherding sheep and then began pastoring uh, uh, people. And Keller writes this about sheep, specifically in referencing, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Referencing this line, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Keller writes this. He says, it is almost impossible for sheep to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. Owing to their timidity, they refuse to lie down unless they are free of all fear. Because of their social behavior with the flock, sheep will not lie down unless they are free from friction with others of their kind. If tormented by flies or parasites, sheep will not lie down. Only when free of these pests can they relax. And lastly, sheep will not lie down as long as they feel in need of finding food. They must be free from hunger. And so David says, the Lord, Yahweh is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, this phrase here is referencing David's basic needs. It's not saying God is going to give you anything and everything you could dream you ever wanted. It's saying he gives me grass and clean water to drink. Your basic needs. Your needs are met in the wilderness by the good shepherd. And David says this good shepherd, he causes him to lie down in green pastures beside still waters. Not rushing streams that would sweep away the sheep, not stagnant waters, but calm waters. There's, there's tranquility that's wrapped up in, in, in this poetry. There's a sense of peace and rest. And as we just heard from a shepherd, those things are required for sheep to feel at ease in order to lay down. If not being fairly flighty creatures, they stay on their feet because that's really the only uh, defense that they have, run. Unless they're a ram, I guess they can you know, use their head. The emphasis here for David, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. The emphasis for David here is trust. Yahweh is trustworthy. The good shepherd, he is trustworthy. The path that he is leading us on is the right path. How many times do we question that? God, really? This is the path that you have for me? Really, that conversation just happened? Really, that incident just took place? David is saying, listen, the Lord, he's a good shepherd. And he leads us in righteous paths. He knows what he's doing. So trust him. 
Though the shepherd may lead David through dark places, David declares he trusts the shepherd for he is good. His name is trustworthy. His name is righteous. Right? He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God is trustworthy. God is trustworthy when you're in green pastures and your needs are met. God is equally trustworthy when he leads you into the valley of the shadow, death. Verse 4, David says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And that's, that's the end of this first section where he's talking about God. In the middle of verse 4, he shifts and starts talking to God. It's almost as if David is declaring, this is who I know God to be. And then he says, oh, wait a minute. This is who I know you are. There's a lesson even in this, right? As followers of the Lord, we are called and commanded to declare what he has done, to boast, if you will, as Paul would to use Paul's words, to boast in what God has done in Christ. But there's also an intimate component that's exampled here. The Lord is my shepherd. He is leading me. And all that hinges on that trust component. It's getting down. If we dig down, that's what it's getting at. Where is my trust? When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Am I trusting the leading of the good shepherd? This is the emphasis that David is making. He's saying, though I am walking through this valley, I still trust. David declares his lack of fear is due to his knowledge of God. He carries a rod and a staff that comforts David. Two different Hebrew words. And David's language, as I mentioned, changes here. But these two uh, Hebrew words, rod and staff, the rod was similar to what we would, we would call a club. It was a weapon. And it was used for two purposes, correcting the sheep and warding off vicious animals that wanted nothing but to devour the sheep. That was the purpose of the rod, correction and protection. But he didn't just carry a rod, he also carried a staff. The staff was used, the shepherd's staff was used for support. Oftentimes, if a sheep would fall down a ravine of which there were many in, in the Middle East, the shepherd would use his staff, which was hooked on the end, to, to pick the sheep and pull him back up to safety. It was an instrument used for support, for guidance. I remember a morning while I was in Central Asia that I uh, walked up onto the mountains before the sunrise just to kind of get a, a view of the sunrise. We were the, where we were staying was down in the valley, and I, I walked up onto this mountain into this mountain pasture and was just having a moment with the Lord. And uh, shortly after arriving up there, the sun came up, and it was just a glorious morning. And all of a sudden, I heard this singing from the other side of the, the field. And, and I, I, I watched as this young shepherd, I would put him maybe seven, eight years old, 
was singing as he led his sheep. In addition to singing as he led the sheep, he also had a long switch (laughs) that if they did not go in the direction that he was leading them, he let them know. (laughs) It was a beautiful picture until he saw me. And then I was probably the first white man he'd ever seen. And that changed the situation really fast because he did a double back and he was out of there. (laughs) And that was quite an experience. But I will never forget that moment of sweet tenderness of the shepherd with his sheep, yet loving discipline as he led them where he intended for them to be. I can't help but think that that was similar to David's picture, what was in David's heart and mind as he remembered times of of shepherding and leading his sheep with both discipline and care and compassion. Not only was the shepherd worthy of trust, David says, he also has the means to provide and protect. Again, drilling down into the root, it is about where is your trust? Is your trust in the good shepherd who meets basic needs, even in the wilderness, brings him to green grass and still waters, who leads him into the valley of the shadow of death for a purpose? Because on the other end of the valley of the shadow of death David says, you, in verse 5, you prepare a table before me. And the, the word here for table, it's, it's not like meagerly portioned. See, now the sheep has become David the human again. Here his, his analogy of sheep has shifted, and now he's at a banquet table. A banquet table where his cup overflows. And so in the wilderness, there was grass and water. His needs were met. The good shepherd was faithful to him. The good shepherd was faithful to lead him through the valley of the shadow of death because what was waiting for him on the other side was a feast, a feast of abundance, a feast where his enemies were absolutely humiliated and brought low utterly defeated. My enemies were made to sit at the table of a feast, David says, that that is made for me. So David describes after this shift in his language of talking about God to talking to God, he says, you have prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And the end result, Yahweh, I will dwell in the house of Yahweh. There's a right that David's been given to be there, a sonship. He's not there as a servant. He's there to dwell permanently. This is his home. Yahweh's house. David declares, I'm welcome into the house of the Lord as a permanent resident. 
As I've stated, David began by describing the wilderness with the good shepherd. He is in the wilderness, not in the good shepherd's home, but in the wilderness. But on this path of righteousness, the shepherd leads his sheep through the valley of the shadow to the house of the Lord, where he has prepared a banquet and all enemies are subdued. Now, I think it was Charles Spurgeon once said, every text has, like he, he likened it to every small town in England has a road that leads to London. Every text has a road that leads to Christ. Your Christ meter should be going off the charts right now as we read through this. Like, oh, the Valley of Shadow. Oh, oh, well, uh, a banquet. Oh, a son. Like, oh, Jesus. Psalm 23, written by David, is written about Jesus. So we get to the second perspective, the ultimate perspective. The point of Psalm 23 ultimately is about Jesus. David was speaking prophetically when he wrote these words, even though God was using his experience, his history. I mean, I'm sure he was thinking about what God had done bringing the Israelites out of Egypt through the Dead Sea and into the Promised Land, right? (laughs) But he was speaking about something, God, even greater than the Exodus, even greater than David's own experience. Now, the question I have when I get to heaven that I'm going to ask David is, did you realize what you were writing? (laughs) That's what I'd like to know. How much did he know? Like, okay, this is what God's doing in my life, but God's going to do something so much greater that this is just a picture of. The ultimate fulfillment of this is Christ. In John chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, repeating for the second time in this conversation, Jesus says this very plainly so we don't miss it. I am the good shepherd. Ding, 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 Psalm 23. That's about me, guys. That's what Jesus is saying. All of those shepherd motifs in, in, in the Old Testament, the, 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 the good leader contrasted with the bad leader, that was about Jesus. I'm the good shepherd, Jesus says. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus, those who are in Christ, we have no lack. We shall not want. A couple examples that come to mind of Jesus fulfilling our needs here on this side of the valley of the shadow of death. Matthew 6, 11, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray to God, give us our daily bread. Provide for our basic needs. Matthew 6, 25 through 34, Jesus says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and all these things are what he previously described as basic needs, food, clothing, grass, water, (laughs) basic needs. The Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Jesus says, like Psalm 23, follow the good shepherd. He will lead you to green pastures and still waters while in the wilderness. He will also lead you through the valley of the shadow of death. But on the other side of that is a banquet. (laughs) 
Jesus first walked through the valley of the shadow of death so that he then could lead his sheep through that valley. As we read in the Gospels, Jesus comes, he teaches God in flesh, God, Yahweh himself comes in the second person of the Trinity in Christ, and he teaches and shepherds and leads and heals and comforts his sheep. And then the good shepherd walks through the valley of the shadow of death. Though he had known no sin, Paul tells us, 2 Corinthians 5, though he who knew no sin, he became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. He walked through the valley of the shadow of death so that he may lead us through paths of righteousness, through the valley of shadow, to the banquet where our cup overflows. And that's not the main point. Cup overflowing, that's a byproduct. That's a consequence. The main event is the presence of God. Let me think about it. That's what we are longing for. That's what we try to fill every time we sin and we try and fill something with what only God can provide. It's what we lost in the Garden of Eden, what we've been trying to regain ever since, the presence of the Lord in the house of God. Yahweh, the shepherd of Psalm 23, John tells us, has tabernacled among us. He pitched his tent in the wilderness. He walked the paths of righteousness for us because we were unfaithful. We wandered. We were sheep that had gone astray. But Jesus was faithful. The good shepherd conquered death, our greatest enemy, so we could have life. Like David, our response is to trust the good shepherd. And so we come to the third perspective, the intimate perspective. Those are the perspective of believers, those who have placed their trust in Christ. The journey of the psalmist leads us on a journey that every believer must take. Every, every human is living in the wilderness under the, and, and, and those who follow the good shepherd are under his care and guidance. Through, we, we will pass through the valley of the shadow of death and we will see the enemy utterly humiliated and the end result, God's dwelling place forever. Psalm 23 is by David, written by David, written about Jesus and written for Christians. It is a hope and a comfort. It is a call not to place your trust in your own means. Well, in my property, the grass is decent. 
actually in my property right now, the grass is like, you know, three feet tall because I've been writing papers for the last two months, not mowing the lawn. So uh, Chip, don't tell the HOA that. They can't see the backyard. (laughs) It's not about how great your grass is. It's not about your resources. If your trust is in what you can do, the end result is failure. This is what Psalm 23 shows us. There is one good shepherd. He leads us. He alone is trustworthy. He alone is the good leader that lays down his life for his people. And we see that clearly in the Gospels. Jesus proclaimed that clearly so we didn't have any misunderstanding. I am the good shepherd. Jesus also said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father, i.e. no one is welcomed into the house of the Lord as a son except through him. The reformers had a mantra, solo Christos, Christ alone. We like to go Christ alone with a little asterisk on it. And we have our footnotes. This, we add, add some of this to it and add a little bit of this to it. Add a, David says, that's not going to cut it. There's one shepherd. He alone is trustworthy. He alone is worthy of us following him, trusting when he uses his rod of correction, trusting in his protection, looking to his comfort in our times of wandering and weakness, following his lead, because he's the good shepherd. I don't know your full story. You don't know my full story. We may know bits and pieces of the paths that we have walked. For some of us, we've walked together. Only the Lord knows every deep sorrow, every challenge, every frustration that you have faced and you are facing. Tim Challies on this note writes this, quote, and here, on the edge of uncertainty, sheep says to shepherd, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Though the shepherd must lead his sheep into the darkness, lead them through unknown valleys, they will go, for he is with them. Their fears are soothed by his strength, their uncertainty by his presence. When enemies approach, he will ward them off with his rod. When sheep stumble, he will lift them with his staff. The shepherd who leads them in will lead them through and will lead them out. This was written by pastor and author Tim Challies in his book, Seasons of Sorrow, which is available in our bookstore Downstairs, and I would encourage you. Tim wrote this book shortly, uh, started writing this book shortly after his um, son passed away tragically and uh, without any warning. Um, young man in college uh, passed away. And I would encourage you, if you're 
If you live in this world and you are wrestling with sorrow, (laughs) uh, consider picking that book up. It is raw. It is from the valley of shadow following the good shepherd. This is the hope that we see in Psalm 23. This is the charge to each one of us. Will you place your trust in Christ alone, the good shepherd? When you are in green pastures, when things are peaceful, though you're in the wilderness, when he supplies for your needs, when you lay by still waters, will you trust him? Then will you trust him when you're deep in the valley where inside these ravines are shadows that vicious animals that want nothing more than to devour devour the sheep hide, where enemies hide in wait. Will you trust him then? And will you trust him to lead you through into the presence of God? The beautiful good news of the gospel is that we don't have to come with the means. And it's even declared in Psalm 23, the good shepherd has all we need. We just need to come to him. And that's the invitation of the gospel message. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus, fully God and fully human, came and died in your place so that you may be in right standing with God. No longer, as Paul would say, sons of wrath. You could say sons and daughters of wrath, children of wrath, children of darkness is another uh, imagery that Paul uses. That is our state without Christ, in rebellion, in darkness, in the wilderness. But two of my favorite words in the Bible found in Ephesians chapter 2, but God. But God. He did not leave us in the wilderness, in the darkness, in our sorrow, in our sin. He did not leave us there. He made a way of salvation when there was none. He parted the sea, led his people through. And Jesus, as we read in John chapter 10, said, my sheep know my voice. They follow me. My question to us, are you trusting the good shepherd with every area of your life? Not just part. Are you trusting the good shepherd to lead you through everything you face because he's good and because he's trustworthy. May you find green pastures and still waters in the turmoil of this life. But more importantly still, may you follow the good shepherd where he leads, even through the valley of the shadow of death, to one day enjoy the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let's pray.
God, this morning, we come to you and we thank you, Lord, for this beautiful psalm. We thank you for the truths that it teaches us about you. We thank you for your completed word that we can read in the Gospels that you are the good shepherd of Psalm 23. And that those who are in Christ, you are leading us. And so God, I pray this morning, if there's anyone here who has not placed their trust in you, God, I ask that you would bring salvation, that today would be the day of salvation. They would turn from trusting in themselves and they would turn to you, Jesus, and place their faith and their trust in you. God, for those of us who have placed our faith and trust in you, I pray, God, that you would encourage and challenge our perspective on this life in the wilderness. That we would trust you will provide for our needs that we would look to you in every moment that we face. Joy and, and success and celebration, sorrow, loss and heartache, disappointment, conflict. God, in every area of our lives, would you teach us to trust you more deeply? And good shepherd, would you lead us for your name's sake. Amen.